James chapter 4, verses 1 to 10. What causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? You desire, but you don't have, so you kill. You covet, but you cannot get what you want, so you quarrel and fight. You do not have because you do not ask God. When you ask, you don't receive because you ask wrong motives that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. You adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world means enmity against God? Therefore, anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. Or do you think scripture says without reason that he jealously longs for the spirit he has caused to dwell in us? But he gives us more grace. That is why scripture says, God opposes the proud, but shows favour to the humble. Submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Come near to God and he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Grieve, mourn, and wail. Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will lift you up. This is God's word. Good morning. My name's Phil. I'm the Associate Vicar here. It's uh, lovely to have you with us this morning as we take a short break in our series in Mark to look at James on Remembrance Sunday. Let's pray as we look at God's Word together. Our Father God, we pray that you would help us to have hearts open to hard truths, that we might be humble and willing to accept our failings and our faults, and that we might then see the good news of the Lord Jesus Christ. We ask this, that we might honour him in the truth, and that our lives might be transformed by his grace. In Jesus' name, amen. So where is the most significant conflict, would you say, in the world today? Uh, The one with the greatest danger of spreading, raging out of control. Is it the already hot conflicts, Gaza, Ukraine, Taiwan, Yemen, Ethiopia? Or perhaps it's the increasingly ugly and entrenched political differences which could keep causing increasing amount of explosive danger. Actually, as we're seeing in the US, it seems to be getting increasingly angry and split. Same again in Argentina and in some parts of Europe. Where is the most significant conflict in the world today? Well, we won't read about it in the media, but God's word tells us that those eye-catching wars over there can distract us from actually the most significant conflict in the world, which is in here, in our hearts. The, one, the conflict that rages in every human heart, James says, is the most significant conflict danger for the world today. Look with me at James 4 verse 1. What causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? You desire, but you do not have, so you kill. You covet, but you cannot get what you want, so you quarrel and fight. Now, I won't go into detail about the book of James, but just in brief, his, his message is genuine faith in the genuine Jesus makes a genuine difference to how you live your life. That's the big message of the book of James. 
And in these verses, he's teaching that if we truly follow Jesus, it will make a difference to the amount of conflict we see in our lives. And it will also make a difference to how we respond to the conflict which inevitably arises in in our lives, in our spheres of influence. And James uses a a very broad term in verse 1. He fights and quarrels. Uh, It covers everything from bickering friends who've who've fallen out over a no-show at a birthday party to... Uh, the war, the horrific war being waged in the Ukraine, both covered. And his words, therefore, have relevance for all of us because, while not all of us here will be directly impacted by warfare, every single one of us knows conflict and strife and resentment and tension in some of our relationships, whether it's family, friendship groups, workplace. And so if we want to flourish as people, we need to to hear what James has to say. We need to understand what actually is causing the conflict in our world and in our lives. And where do we turn for help, for reconciliation, for peace? What causes conflict? Well, I mean, you'll know the debates rage about what is the ultimate cause of conflict. Some say it's ideology. And increasingly these days, you'll, you'll know that there are op-eds written all the time. Uh, Matt quoted a couple of weeks ago, uh, Matthew Syed's op-ed, that says it's not so much which ideology, which religion you hold to. What matters is how fervently you hold it. If you are fundamentalist, if you are just extremist in your holding to any political or religious ideology, then violence will inevitably follow. Problem with that view, of course, is that some of the greatest men and women of peace were extremist, fundamentalist zealots for their beliefs. And that was what enabled them to stand for peace. Martin Luther King, Gandhi, the list goes on and on and on. They were, by most modern definitions, fundamentalists in the way that they held to their views. Uh, What about poverty? Uh, Marx, of course, taught that all conflict was rooted in class struggle, the oppression of the poor by the rich. And there have been plenty of articles in recent days to say, look, you want to know why October the 7th happened? Well, desperate people will do desperate things. When there's that much poverty and desperation, something's going to happen. And it is undeniable that Desperate people do do desperate things. But the problem with that as an ultimate explanation is that so much conflict has been driven by wealthy, comfortable people. I mean, the the 9-11 bombers famously were almost all affluent, well-educated, linked by family to positions of power. Two of them were were sons of a multi-millionaire spice merchant. No, history. Surely if we look to history, we can find... the the reasons for conflict. And many of the debates about what's going on in Gaza relate to how far back in history do you go when you start your explanation for what happened. 2007, Intifada. 1967. 1948. 1917. AD 70. One of the key Russian justifications for their invasion of Ukraine. Historically, this is part of the same nation, the greater Russia. Now, there are important lessons to be learned from the historical backdrop. Ultimately, though, the Bible teaches that you can go back as far as you like in history and you won't get to the ultimate cause in conflict because it doesn't lie back there, but in here, in the human heart. What causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires 
that battle within you. James argues the same root cause leads to world wars and squabbling friends, frustrated desire. Frustrated desires inside our hearts, that's what causes all conflict. Now when he says desires that battle within you, he's talking about the battle between the commitment to do what is right, to to choose to feel loving towards people, and the murky selfish desires to do what I want, to indulge my grievance feelings. Now, cartoons always have the good angel and the bad angel on the shoulder trying to influence. But James says it's not external. It's desires battling from the inside. Our own hearts, our own desires. The desire to do what is right and put others first. And if I'm a Christian, to obey God. And the desire to serve me. To indulge my feelings. To meet my needs. To get what I want. And too often, we lose the battle in our hearts, and so our lives are well, they're dominated by desires which are frankly out of control. And like two-year-old children, those desires become more unruly and harder to control the more we indulge them. And soon, they control us. And so, if we lose the fight to control the desires in our hearts, we will inevitably find ourselves in fights with others. Those who get in the way of me satisfying the desires that I've not controlled inside. That's what verse 2 tells us. You desire, but you do not have, so you kill. You covet, but you cannot get what you want, so you quarrel and fight. On the other side of the world, uh, from Gaza, there was a murder in Panama this week. It was just, in in some ways, just so banal. But it was James 4.2 in a microcosm. Uh, This retired professor wanted to drive somewhere, and there were some... um, stop oil protesters in the road couldn't complete his journey I want to get there and you're stopping me so he took out his gun and shot two of them I want I can't have you stop me I kill you just like James tells us now sometimes it really is just that chillingly simple but remember, James is writing to a church, and I, or to churches, and I don't think he's saying, look, there's a massive problem that in church people keep killing each other over the choice of songs on Sunday or whether the coffee was hot enough. I think his point is, look, suppose somebody, realistic scenario, somebody blabs an embarrassing secret I share in confidence. What do I do? Well, I get angry. I care about my reputation, and so I, I get angry. Because my desire that my reputation is good in this community has been destroyed. And so I want to strike back. I lash out, maybe not physically, but I'll lash out verbally to cause them emotional hurt. And that desire to lash out, the thing that drives me to say things about them or to them, is exactly the same desire that in other places and in other people and with other sets of circumstances might lead to murder. But it is the same desire that leads to the two different outcomes. And so James tells us, look, very simply, the ultimate cause of conflict in Gaza is the same as every other conflict in human history. It's the same as the cause of shouting matches between siblings, simmering tension between husbands and wives. I want something, you won't give it to me, or you're stopping me from getting it, And so I use my fists, or my words, or my manipulation. And I trample over you, I get you out of the way, and I get it. Now we're all different. (laughs) So the desires that cause us to clash with others will be different. 
for some of us. I want to be in charge. I want to be in control. Life feels safe when I'm in control. And sometimes it leads to conflict so pathetic that it's comical. I mean, who can forget, you have no authority here, Jackie Weaver. Uh, peak Zoom. Just seriously, who cares? But often the results of our battles for control are a lot less amusing. I just need to be in control. And my children will not fit in with those reasonable demands, my sensible plans, and so I get furious and I lash out. I just want my life to be comfortable. That's all I'm asking for. I just want comfort. And this commitment, this person, is ruining that. And so I am angry. Look, I want to be well thought of. What matters to me is my reputation. I want to be respected. That's not too much to ask, is it? I'm a good person after all. So people fight because he looked at me funny. Well, we bicker because you always belittle me. You just don't show me the respect that you should do. All those desires are different, but do you notice the common theme? It's my desires. I want the world to fit in with me, to revolve around me. And when other people refuse to do that, in spite of how reasonable my desires are, then there's conflict. Now, on Remembrance Sunday, we naturally see in James's words, and we rightly see in them, an explanation for the wars of our world. But don't forget, he is writing primarily to churches, explaining the behavior of Christians. In other words, the desire for, for serving me is so potent, and most of us have nurtured and exercised it so much over so many years, that it remains stubbornly rooted in our hearts, even after Christ has given us new birth resisting even the mighty transforming work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And so James writes in the second half of verse 2, you do not have because you do not ask God. And when you ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. That is, we are tempted, even as Christians, not to see God as almighty to be worshipped, but as genie to be demanded of. We see him not as the the God who rules me, but as just a much better means to get what I want. I've tried, and I can't get it, so maybe I'll just turn to God. I mean, he, after all, is bigger and stronger than me. God, you get me this thing that I want. You help me satisfy my desires. Hopefully we wouldn't pray quite in such a crass way, but the danger is that is how we pray. Now, be careful. James is not teaching that any time I find my prayers unanswered, that must be because I've prayed for the wrong things or because my motives are murky. He's not saying that. James is blunt. He writes in extremes deliberately to wake us up and shock us. But he's not saying any time prayer is unanswered, you must be either asking for bad reasons or asking for bad stuff. He's just warning us that even when we're on our knees praying to God, even then our selfish desires are so powerful that they can infect our prayers. Now, verse 4 is not a new argument. He's actually continuing the same theme. You adulterous people, don't you know friendship with the world means enmity against God? 
Therefore, anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God's. Or do you think Scripture says without reason he jealously longs for the spirit he's caused to dwell in us? He's saying, look, when our lives are dominated by selfish desires, worldly desires, we find ourselves in conflict with God. We're not only in conflict with other people who won't fit my agenda, we're also in conflict with God, who is rightly offended by our worldly desires for selfish things and our unloving attitude and actions. And God desires that we would change. Now, before we look at the hope of verses 6 to 7, we should just pause. We remember today the almost unimaginable suffering that warfare has brought all around our world and all down through human history. And God's word warns us that the cause of that suffering, the ultimate cause, lies in human hearts. And not just in human hearts out there, but in here, in my heart and in your hearts too. As far as I know, no one here has launched an armed incursion into a foreign sovereign territory. If you have, please do stop. But all of us, all of us, have fought with, hurt, shown contempt to, felt hatred towards those around us, those who deserve our love. Because they stopped me getting what I want. And so it is right that we are sobered and remorseful. It is right that we humbly confess our sins. It is right today that we acknowledge how dark and cold and even cruel our hearts are at times. Nurturing grievances, pursuing fights. It's right on Remembrance Day that we also recognize and lament the conflict and misery that we ourselves have caused. The Bible, though, is a book of hope. The Bible only ever diagnoses the sickness of the human soul to tell us that there is a solution. And the solution to conflict is found on our knees. The cause is found in our hearts and the solution is found on our knees. Look with me at verse 6. But he, that is God, gives us more grace. That's why scripture says, God opposes the proud but shows favor to the humble. Submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil and he'll flee from you. Come near to God and he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Grieve, mourn and wail. Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up. Now these verses, actually, they they teach the familiar truth at the heart of the Bible that Jesus forgives our sins, but they do so in, in different language. James has just got his own vocabulary. Instead of confessing sins leading to forgiveness, it's humbling ourselves from pride leads to God raising us up. It's the the same idea, just viewed from a different angle. If you want to think in slightly more detail, the the answer to our conflict with God and with each other is God's grace. As we see throughout the New Testament, verse 6, God's undeserved kindness. He opposes those who proudly elevate themselves and trample on others. But he shows grace to those who will humble themselves. And so verse 7 to 8, stop serving the devil and instead come to God. (gasps) Yep, James is blunt. Saying, look, when you serve your own desires, you're doing the devil's job for him. You just fit with his agenda 
of misery and conflict in God's world. So turn away. And when you turn away from the devil to God, you find uh, God does not resist or reject. He receives us and he blesses us. No matter how big a mess we've made, God is there to welcome us. And because James' own brother Jesus died on a cross, our sins are paid for. So if I'll only stop trying to elevate myself and trample on others, if I'll come to God on my knees admitting I am the problem, then God will forgive me. He will raise me up and he will bless us in his eternal kingdom with riches that we cannot even begin to imagine way beyond anything I could get if I just was able to fulfill my selfish desires. Now, there are two reasons when we step back. There are two reasons humbling ourselves before God solves conflict. Why is it that humbling ourselves before God is the solution to conflict? First is the impact on ourselves. The cause of conflict is me putting myself and my needs first, which is basically saying, I put me on the throne. And if others are doing the same, then we're going to fight because we all want to be on the same throne. Uh, the closest I've ever come to actual genuine combat is trying to get on the northern line in rush hour. But like most blokes who've never been to war, I do love uh, military TV shows. And I watched one um, not so long ago about the selection process for the Australian and New Zealand SAS, um, their, their elite forces. And there was one really interesting scene where these absolutely exhausted um, uh, soldiers who are, who are trying out for it uh, have been battered and beasted for, for weeks and weeks and weeks and they're in teams of six trying to perform various grueling tasks and then the instructor while they're, while they're doing things takes aside three of them in turn without any of the others seeing and says right it is, you need to lead this task you've got to get a grip of this group it's falling apart you've got to manage it you've got to be in charge and whether you progress comes down to whether you can get a grip of this group says it to three different people without anybody knowing. You can imagine the results. All three of them thinking, I'm in charge. People need to get on board with my plan, my agenda. It was serious conflict, punctuated with some rather exotic Antipodean swearing. It made for great TV, but you see the same dynamic all around the world, in our families, friendship circles, workplaces, universities, and our nations. Conflict comes when I think I should be in charge. Peace comes when I stop trying to be in charge. When I humble myself and step away from the throne. Adopting the posture, not of a ruler, but of a servant on my knees. I submit to God and I put others ahead of myself. And conflict recedes. That's the first reason humbling myself solves conflict. There's a second reason that kneeling before God brings peace. Because for true and lasting peace, we need something more than just, I'm not trying to get on the throne. We need the right person to be on the throne. 53,800. 84,100. 238,000. Those are the figures for death in armed conflict in the last three years. And the trajectory is not a promising one, is it? It confirms in cold statistics what most of us are picking up as we watch the news each day. The world is increasingly angry and violent. 
Geopolitically, I think this decade probably feels less secure than any most of us have ever known. Most of us feel quite a bit of anxiety, actually, if we're honest about the future. But the good news of the Bible is that that trajectory of increasing conflict and death is not unending. One day, war will cease. Now, soon enough, we'll be into carol service season. The first mince pies of the year are almost ready to go in the oven. We almost put an accidental zero on the number of mince pies we ordered at church, which would have been <laughs> yeah, yeah, a catastrophic mistake. <laughs> yeah. About 20,000 more mince pies than any of us would ever want to eat. But when we, when we get into the carol services, we'll read these wonderful words from the prophet Isaiah. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. For as in the day of Midian's defeat, you have shattered the yoke that burdens them, the bar across their shoulders, the rod of their oppressor. Every warrior's boot used in battle, every garment rolled in blood will be destined for burning, will be fuel for the fire. For to us, a child is born, to us... A son is given and the government will be on his shoulders and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Conflict ends when I kneel before God because the God who I kneel before and recognize as King is Jesus Christ, the one who humbled himself to death to bring peace between sinners like us and God. And because he is that kind of a king who humbles himself and pours himself out, we can trust him to exercise ultimate power in our universe without oppressing others. He's also the one who conquered death to rise in glory as king of the universe. And he has the power, therefore, to bring peace to the warring nations. When we turn to him now, we turn to the prince of peace. And even now, even now, we see hints of the ultimate peace he promises. Some of us will know it in our own families, our own lives. Uh, those who were at the, the Commission um, Bible Festival last year, Revive, when all of our network of churches get together, will remember one of the speakers there, Jack Sara, Palestinian uh, Bible teacher and theologian. He speaks about how he was radicalized, really, as a young man through brutal encounters with the Israeli Defense Forces on a trajectory to anger and violence and escalating conflict until he met Jesus Christ, until he as a young man bowed his knee before Jesus and gave up his desire for vengeance and violence and instead found peace and forgiveness through Jesus Christ and was transformed. And now at the Jerusalem Alliance Church, you can see Christians from Jewish and Muslim backgrounds, worshipping Jesus together, united before the Prince of Peace. It's very dramatic. The same dynamic is available to all of us in our lives. As we close, two things. Honour those who sacrifice to protect us and humble yourself and work for peace. One day, Jesus will return and bring the rule of perfect peace promised in Isaiah 9. And in the meantime, let's be realistic. We will live in a world marred by conflict, and we'll continue to see that. And in a world like that, people of peace and justice must sometimes overcome the temptation to cowardice and stand up to resist 
those who would oppress. And where we have the power and opportunity to resist those who would do evil, we should follow the example of Jesus in courageously doing so. Or to put it another way, we will always need soldiers when there is sin in the world. And it's right today, therefore, that we honor those who sacrifice all to protect the people and the place they love. It's right that we recognize we only enjoy peace and freedom because others sacrifice their lives to win those things for us. So even as we pray, as we must do for an end to war, even as we question the justice of many modern conflicts, we honor those who sacrifice their lives to protect us. Secondly, humble yourself. Few of us will find ourselves in a position to influence global conflicts that tear the world apart, but all of us can influence the conflict in our corner of the globe. It begins with coming to God on our knees. That's where it all starts for each one of us. Bringing our raging selfish desires to him in humble repentance. Recognizing God reached down in humility to save us. He denied himself everything so we might have it. So we bow before the Lord Jesus and recognize his kingship. We receive his forgiveness and peace. And if I have received peace and forgiveness from Jesus, then it must flow out from my heart and into my relationships, forgiving and reconciling others. Fixing the vertical conflict with God brings the power to fix the horizontal conflict with others in our families and friendships and workplaces and communities. And if we know Jesus then none of us need be hopeless about any broken relationship 